And so let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. When you found it, if you would, please stand with me. Uh, We're going to stand together for the reading of God's Word. And just going to read a few verses here in the Gospel of Luke and uh, chapter 17. We'll start reading in verse number 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in this passage, we find Jesus on the last journey of his life, traveling to Jerusalem. It won't be long before he'll stand a mock trial and be crucified on the cross for our sins and then resurrected three days later. And verse 11 and 12 tells us that it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and he enters there into a certain village. Jesus and his disciples, they're on the move as they're traveling to Jerusalem and Luke, he tells us that their travels take them through Samaria. It's an interesting commentary because many of the Jews, they despised the Samaritans. They would have often avoided the area as they traveled. They would have found a different route around Samaria. The the Samaritans, they were despised for their intermarrying of the Assyrians. They were despised and looked down upon. The Jews, they viewed them as dogs. And yet Jesus, he chose to pass through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. And as they enter into one of the villages, it tells us that Jesus encounters a group of lepers. Now, we find in this encounter ten men whose lives were miraculously changed. Their encounter with Jesus, I believe it illustrates for us two important truths. See, in this encounter, uh, we see the basic lack of gratitude that exists in our world today. We see the need that we all have for Christ's mercy and grace. See, these men, they had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and yet all but one were able to continue on their life without feeling the need to express gratitude to the one that healed them. So this morning, I'd like to examine some lessons from a leper. I'd like to look at some of the accounts here uh, that we find of this encounter. And so if you're taking notes and you want to jot a few things down, uh, you can write, first of all, we see their description. We see their description. In verses 12 and 13, it says, There met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We see here in this description their condition. The Bible tells us that they were lepers. 
You know, leprosy is, uh, in biblical times, it was a terrible thing. The disease of leprosy, it's mentioned 13 different times in the New Testament, and it was an infectious skin disease, a disease that would leave sores all over the body, a disease that would cause parts of the body where the infection was to rot away and even fall off. And at this point in the sermon, you should be thankful I don't have slides. And, um, <laughs> but the effect of leprosy, it was so severe and it had the potential for wiping out a population uh, that, that God laid down very specific pres- prescriptions for leprosy, how it was to be dealt with. In Numbers chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an issue and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45 and 46 says, And the leper... In whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, and shall cry, Unclean, unclean, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone, without the camp shall his habitation be. This was a very miserable lifestyle. This was a horrific disease. It was so terrible that they weren't to be in any proximity to those that were, to, that were healthy. They were to live outside of the camp. They were to have rent clothes. They were to cry out, unclean, unclean, as long as they were unclean. It was such a terrible disease that God used leprosy on several occasions as a punishment. It was viewed as a curse of God. And so we see their condition, they were lepers, but not only do we see their condition here, but we see their cries. We see their desperation. Look at what it says, it says they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Leprosy, it was considered incurable. If you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were banned from society. Leprosy made a person ritually Unclean, And so to touch a leper uh, defiled a Jew almost as if they had touched a dead person. And so there was no cure. There was no medicine. There was no ointment. There was no doctor that could be seen. The only hope that they had is maybe somehow this disease would eventually burn itself out and their sores would grow smaller. You see, they were the ultimate outcasts. They were infected by a condition they didn't ask for. They were rejected by those that they knew. They were avoided by people they didn't know. They were condemned to a future alone. They were unlovely, they were unclean, and they were unworthy. You think about the life of this leper. Imagine the circumstances surrounding their life, maybe one day just out in the field doing their day-to-day chores, their day-to-day activities, and all of a sudden they notice a spot on their skin. And it begins to develop and worsen and they realize exactly what it is. They understand what it's going to mean. They're going to have to leave their loved ones. They're going to have to leave their family. They're going to have to leave their friends and their work and society and live in isolation for the rest of their life. It was a death sentence. Imagine the pain that accompanied being separated from all of society. You know, just a few years ago, uh, we experienced COVID. And if you got COVID, you had a quarantine for 14 days, and quarantine was bad enough. I mean, they treated you like you were a leper. But imagine being quarantined for your entire life, being separated for your entire life, 
These men living in isolation from society, they see Jesus, they see a crowd following him, coming towards where they are. And these lepers, they immediately recognize him. And what do they do? They call out his name. Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Everyone had heard about Jesus. For the last two years, he had been the source of every conversation at every well. He had been the source of every conversation at all of the town gates, at the synagogue meetings, everywhere the worshipers went. Was this the, the proclaimed Messiah? Was this the, the promised Christ that was to come? Among other things, leprosy, one of the things it did is it attacked the vocal cords. It was probably difficult for these men to speak. It was probably hard for them to vocalize their cries, but that didn't stop them from using their voice. They cried out. They cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Why? Because they were desperate. This was their only hope. This was their only chance. This was the only way out of their dilemma. There were no cures. There were no solutions. And so these lepers, they cry out. But what is it that they ask Jesus for? Well, it says, they say, have mercy on us. I think that's interesting. They, they don't ask for healing. They ask for mercy. It was a phrase that recognized their pitiful condition, that they were unable to solve their problem, that they were in a dilemma that they could do nothing about, and they needed a superior power. Have mercy upon us. It, rec- it, it expresses a recognition of Christ's superior power, but it also recognizes Christ as someone who's approachable. That he hears cries for mercy. Their cry assumes that someone has indicated to them that this man, he listens to cries for mercy. Evidently, his power, his compassion, it was known to these lepers. They were aware of it, aware enough to cry out for mercy when they saw him. They were needy. They were unable to do anything about their current condition. Only the intervention of the divine could change their condition. Can I say this morning that you may not have leprosy, and praise the Lord for that, but every one of us, before we met Jesus, were just like those lepers. We were unlovely, we were unclean, and we were unworthy. And even worse, Then leprosy, we had a more debilitating disease, and that was the disease of sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, we've broken God's law. We've lied. We've cheated. We've stolen. We've disobeyed our parents. We've coveted and lusted after things which we ought not. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, sin, it wasn't just something that we learned. We were born with it. We inherited it from our parents. It's passed down from generation to generation. And like leprosy, our, st- our sin carries with it a steep penalty. Romans 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. You see, leprosy, it separated a man from his family. It separated a man from his society. But sin... It separates us from a holy and a loving God. It separates us for all of eternity in a place called hell. You see, in Jesus' day, there was no cure for leprosy. It was a death sentence. That's why we see their desperation. We see their cries. That's why they're calling out for mercy. But hey, I'm happy to report this morning that there's a cure for sin. 
There's an antidote. A doctor can't prescribe it. The pharmacy can't fulfill it. It's not a home remedy you can do yourself. It can only be found in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus ye who are sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth, he demonstrated, he proved his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God, he proved his love by sending his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says, for he hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, he took our sin upon, our, upon himself. He took our place. He paid the price we should have paid for our sins. And there was only one cure for sin and it required the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 says, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I love how the hymn writer said, he said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, the wonderful news about this antidote for sin is that it's available to all who will call out to Jesus for the cure. You see, just as the lepers called out to Jesus for mercy and found healing, the Bible too tells us that we can call and find forgiveness for, of sins by simply calling out to Jesus. Romans 10 and verse 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know that all of your sins forgiven, if you're not certain that if you were to die today that you would spend your eternity in heaven, I've got wonderful news for you. And that is that all who call out to him find mercy. You may think, well, I'm, I'm okay. Well, to think that you're okay in God's sight is a surefire way to make sure you get nothing from him. You think, think about these lepers. If they had thought, well, we're sick, but we're not all that bad, they would have never cried out to Jesus for mercy. If they thought, well, I'm not as bad as that other leper, they would have never received mercy. See, they knew that they were goners unless God in his power had mercy on them. You see, the way to receive God's mercy is to acknowledge our desperate condition before him and to cry out to him. And so we see the description of these lepers, but notice secondly here this morning, we see the difference that Jesus makes. The difference that Jesus makes. In verse 14 it says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. See, upon hearing uh, the cries of these lepers, Jesus tells them, Go show yourself to the priest. He never tells them, hey, uh, be healed or you're healed. Go and sin no more. Like he told others, he just tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. And the significance of his instructions were that only the priests, according to the Mosaic law, could declare someone free of leprosy. Only the priest could declare them clean. Now, Jesus doesn't say they're healed, but he certainly implies it if they're going to go show themselves to the priests. And so they go. They must go there to receive a clean bill of health from the one who could grant it. And Luke, he tells us that as they were going, they were cleansed. That means that somewhere between their encounter with Jesus and their visit with the priest, something happened. They realized that they were healed. 
This word cleansed, it means to heal a person of a disease that makes them ceremonially unclean. And it's in, I don't expect you all to understand all this, but I want to try to help you out, is that it's in the aorist tense, which means that it signifies an action at a single point in a past tense rather than something that's happening over time. And the picture is this, is that they're walking along and all of a sudden, one of them looks to the other and says, what happened to that spot on your forehead? And your face looks clear. And they start examining each other and they're looking all over and they're, they're realizing that they're healed. Can you imagine the celebration that breaks out on that journey? I mean, they're cheering, they're high-fiving, they're all excited. That walking to the priest is now running to the priest. I mean, they're fired up, they're healed. Their life has changed. They get their life back. This is a second chance that they've been longing for. They hurriedly make their way back to the priest. Now, I was reading, and I thought this was awesome, how the Jewish rabbis had separated miracles into two categories. The first category were miracles that could be done by anyone who uh, was empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. And the second category were called messianic miracles. These were miracles that uh, the, the rabbis of the day taught were miracles that only the Messiah would perform. And leprosy was, was one of those miracles. It was thought to be an earmark of the messianic age when there would be no more leprosy. The Messiah would heal that. That would not be an issue anymore. And so the first messianic miracle was the healing of a leper. And so from the time that the Mosaic law was completed to this point in time, you realize that there was no record of any Jew that had been healed from leprosy. You say, well, what about Miriam? What about Naaman? Well, Miriam was healed of leprosy before the law was completed. And Naaman was a Gentile, so he didn't have to follow the law. And so from the time that God gave the law to Moses and it was completed until this day, there had never been a single Jew that was healed of leprosy. Leprosy had not, the last person that got healed was Naaman 700 years ago. And so leprosy, it was one of the diseases that was left out of the rabbinic cures. There was no cure for leprosy. And yet God, it's interesting, in, in Leviticus, he's dedicated two whole chapters 13 and 14, to what do you do with a leper who gets healed? What do you do with a leper that gets cleansed? And there was all these instructions. On the day that a leper approached the priest and said, hey, uh, I was a leper, but I've been healed, the priest had to give an offering of two birds. And then for the next seven days, they were to intensively investigate the situation. They had to look and determine three things. Number one, was this person really a leper? Did they really have leprosy? Did it fit the bill? Did they check all the boxes? Number two, if he was a real leper, was he really cured of his leprosy? And then the third thing was that if he was truly cured of his leprosy, what were the circumstances surrounding his healing? And then after seven days, if they're fully convinced that this man had been a leper, that he was indeed healed of his leprosy, and that the circumstances were proper, then on the eighth day there'd be all these series of sacrifices that would take place. And although the priesthood had all these detailed instructions about how they were supposed to deal with a healed leper, they never had the opportunity to put it into place. Because from the time that the law was given to now, no Jew was ever healed of leprosy. And so as a result, again, it was taught that only the Messiah could heal a leper. And so Jesus, he sends 10 lepers to go to the very priest under the leadership of Caiaphas 
that are going to crucify him in just a matter of days, that meant that instead of one messianic miracle, there's now ten messianic miracles. And so ten times over, I love this, Caiaphas and his priesthood have to spend seven days investigating the whole situation. Ten times over, they have to decree all these men, they were truly lepers. And that all these men, they've been cleansed of their leprosy. And ten times over, they have to decree that Jesus had performed the miracle. Imagine how they must have reacted. (laughs) Every single one of them was cleansed. I mean, the most deformed was healed. How do you explain that? If one had come, uh, you could say, well, it was just a coincidence that kind of fell alongside the arrival of Jesus. But ten times over, they're seeing Jesus healed them. Jesus healed them. It could only be explained one way, and that is Jesus was the Messiah. His Messiahship was proclaimed, not just by the mouth of two or three witnesses, but by ten witnesses over and over again with clear complexions, with smooth skin. They were dramatic testimonies of the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives had been changed. They had a second chance at life. They could start their life over. The rest of their life could be completely different. It didn't matter how bad off they were. Jesus healed them. Some may have had worse conditions than the others. Jesus healed them. Some may have been lepers longer than others. Jesus healed them. Listen, what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how much, how bad you think you are. Jesus can make you whole. There's no sin greater than the grace of Jesus. If you cry out to him in faith, you'll find the same grace and healing those ten lepers found. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And if you'll let him, he'll change your life. He'll make you a new creature. Old things will be passed away. All things will be made new. And so we see their description. We see the difference Jesus makes. But notice thirdly here, we see their disregard. We see their lack of gratitude, their thanklessness. Verse 15 through 18, it says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. See, upon realizing the wonderful news of the change that had occurred, the Bible tells us that only one made the decision to return back and give thanks. I guess the nine had something better to do. Someone made a list of possible reasons why the nine didn't return. Someone said one man waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if it would last. One said he'd see Jesus later. One decided that he never really had leprosy. One said he would have gotten well anyway. One gave the glory to the priest. One said, oh, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. One said, any rabbi could have done it. One said, I was already much improved. You see, all ten realized that they were healed, but only one comes all the way back to Jesus, praising God for the mercy in healing him. And notice how the Bible describes the thanks that this leper gives Jesus. It says, with a loud voice, glorified God and fell down on his feet, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Now, I don't know if you appreciate this as much as I do, but that word loud is the Greek word mega, and the word voice is the Greek word phone. So with a megaphone, 
He thanks God. He glorified God. I mean, you could hear him coming a mile away. Praise God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me. I mean, he is glorifying. He's shouting. Hey, by the way, you know, praise the Lord. It's not just a catchy slogan. It's a command. Psalm 107, verse 8 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. See, if my life is not marked by frequent praises to God for his goodness and his many blessings, I'm not obeying scripture. The Bible says we're to praise the Lord. Those who have experienced Jesus's cleansing power ought to glorify him. See, he runs back. He realized he's been completely healed. He's filled with gratitude uh, as he falls on his face and thanks Jesus. It's interesting that Luke points out that he was a Samaritan. I already talked about it a little bit earlier, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. They considered them to be half-breeds. They considered them to be pagan. And yet the, one, the ones who supposedly knew better, the ones who were direct descendants of God's people, couldn't find it in themselves to return and thank God for the mercy they received. And yet somehow this unspiritual one is the only one that knew gratitude was the proper response. And so in verse 17, Jesus, he asks a profound question, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They're not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. See, nine of the ten newly cleansed lepers made no effort at all to return to Jesus and thank him for the extraordinary life-transforming life deliverance that they experienced. It tells us that there was an expectation of gratitude. By that question, it tells us Jesus expected them to come back. That's why he asked, where are the nine? He asked where the rest of them were. He clearly expected them to return to give thanks. You know, we could try to make excuses for them. Maybe they were really excited about seeing their wives and their children and their parents and their friends. Maybe they were afraid to identify themselves with Jesus who was becoming a marked man. And, and you know, whatever, whatever the excuse is, Jesus never saw them again. There's an old preacher who gave names to each of these nine unthankful lepers. He said the first is callous. The second is thoughtless, the third is proud, the fourth is envious, the fifth is cowardly, the sixth is calculating, the seventh is worldly, the eighth is indifferent, and the ninth is procrastinating. Those are all reasons for ungrateful spirits. See, these nine men whose heart, these nine men, their hearts were unmoved by the grace of God in their life. They took him for granted. We can condemn them, but I wonder what's our excuse? I believe we offend the Lord when we take his gifts for granted and we forget to say thank you. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Paul, he's instructing these believers in Thessalonica that they're to give thanks for everything. That tells us that gratitude, it's a core discipleship issue. That God expects every believer to be to learn to be thankful in every situation. It's his will. You know, we live in a very self-entitled society. I don't know if you figure that out or not. But we feel like everything's owed to us. We think we deserve everything that we have. And as a result, we live life with very little gratitude. There was a study that was published recently that found, it studied everyday language on five different continents. And it found that when someone asks for an object, service, or help and receives it, 
the person says thank you only about once out of every 20 times. You don't have to go very many places to find that manners and politeness, it's out of style. People aren't grateful for what they have. They're not grateful for the things that are given to them. They're always looking for more. See, we tend to only think about gratitude in the month of November. We come up on Thanksgiving. We start thinking about Thanksgiving. But for a believer, Thanksgiving shouldn't be confined to just one month out of the year. We ought to thank God on a regular basis. Someone said, God gave you a gift of 86,400 seconds today. Did you use one to say thank you? We ought to thank God. I mean, how's your Thanksgiving going? Surely we have enough that we could thank him for. Consider every good thing that God has given to you. Every mouthful of food, every breath of air you inhale, every note of music you hear, every sight you see, your child, your spouse, the incredible gifts of intelligence, life, health, parents, countless material blessings. Have you thanked him? Or are you like these other nine ungrateful lepers? Are we thanking God for all that he's done for us and is doing for us? Or are we like these lepers rationalizing away God's miracles? Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul tells us that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. And so this leper, he falls on his feet, on his face at Jesus' feet, showing the proper attitude of humility that should characterize all of those who have been healed by his mercy. Hey, we owe him everything. We owe him everything. This leper, he wasn't trying to be dignified. He didn't care what everybody else thought. He runs to Jesus. He falls on his face at the feet of him. He knew that he had been healed totally because of Jesus' mercy. And so he readily falls on his face at Jesus' feet. And that's where every saved person ought to be. Verse number 19, Jesus makes one last statement to the leper who returns. It says, and he said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. That word that makes up the phrase, hath made thee whole, it's just one Greek word, and it's the Greek word sozo. And oftentimes it's translated saves, or to save. And so Jesus, he offers this leper a deeper cleansing than the rest. See, the nine, they received healing, but only one received salvation. See, the nine, they got what they wanted from God in terms of being healed in their bodies, but they went no further. They never returned to Jesus for the salvation of their soul. They received temporal benefits of a healed body, but only the one who returned did the Lord proclaim, Thy faith hath made thee whole. So I believe there are really two clear applications that we can take away from this encounter. One is that Jesus expects us to show gratitude. It's not something that comes naturally. Gratitude is something we have to work at. We've got to train ourselves to show thanks, to give thanks, to be filled with thanksgiving. We need to have regular periods in our life where we're focusing on thanksgiving and praising God. You know, researchers who spent years studying gratitude, they found that grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions like joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, optimism, and that the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. You say, well, I'm just not always an enthusiastic person, or I don't always look happier, or I'm, just, I'm, I'm a natural pessimist. Well, maybe your problem is that you're just not grateful. You see, thanking God 
It's not only good to do, it's good for you. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, thanksgiving, he tells us, it's an important element to prayer. What kind of selfish prayers are we praying if all we ever do is ask God for stuff and we never thank Him? Sincere thanksgiving is one of the best ways to bring fervor to our praying. We've got so much to thank God for. And gratitude is to be the outflow of the grace that we've experienced. Thanking God, it reminds us of His goodness to us, His continual care for us. Thanking God in advance for answering prayers, it demonstrates our faith in Him. Thanking God shows our trust and our, abil- and, and our dependence in His ability to work on our behalf. And so, when's the last time you just spent a while thanking God in prayer? Thanking him for all he's done for you. Thanking him for who he is. Jesus, he expects us to show gratitude. Here's the second takeaway. Jesus will make whole anyone who comes to him in faith. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never had an encounter with Jesus. There's never been a day in your life where you placed your faith, trust, and dependence in Christ for salvation. You don't know with certainty that all of your sins have been forgiven. You're not sure that if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, and you're concerned about that. Hey, I've got great news. Jesus answers calls for mercy. Just as he responded to the cries of the leper, he'll respond to your cries as well. And so if you need to be saved this morning, we love an opportunity to take a Bible and show you how you can know that you have all of your sins forgiven, how you can leave here with confidence, knowing that you'll spend an eternity in heaven. Maybe your need's not salvation. Maybe your need's something else. Maybe it's a burden you're carrying. Maybe it's deliverance in another area. Hey, Jesus answers cries for mercy. We all have needs, whether or not we acknowledge them. You see, the nine lepers, they thought that they had their greatest need met. They thought, man, I got my leprosy taken care of. I'm good. And they went and lived life on their own, not realizing they needed something else. Why is it that we tend to pray so infrequently and so coldly? Why is it that our prayers are so feeble? Why is it that we wander all over in our prayers and our prayers are lukewarm? The answer is really simple. It's because our sense of the, our need for God in our life is weak. We think, well, I'm saved. I got my biggest need taken care of. But we've forgotten how needy we really are. Our longing for the grace of the Lord in our life is not as vital or as strong as it ought to be. We think I can go and do life on my own. Perhaps this morning we need to ask God to show us just how needy we really are. And when we cry out to him, God answers those calls for mercy. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the pianist comes. We're going to have a time of invitation and we invite you, as we do in every service, to come and do business with the Lord as He's spoken to you. Respond to Him. We don't want to just be hearers of the Word. We want to be doers. But if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, if today were to be your last day, that your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven, would you come? We'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, that all of your sins are forgiven. Would you come this morning as piano plays?